Welcome to the 40th episode of the Global Gamers Podcast. It's How always do you feel, so, Ryan? Another decade done. It's always so satisfying hitting that hitting that new uh, 10 digit. Having mark. a zero at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 10 we have a mark. No. I mean, I feel like we kind of say this on most episodes where we say, oh, it's a special one this week uh, for different reasons. But this one is special because the game we are reviewing today is one that comes with a lot of nostalgia baked in Mm -hmm. um so this week we are reviewing small world and yeah we haven't done an area control game for a little while did you a long time blood rage was the last one i believe is that right i think so yeah so it's no scythe 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 definitely was right Uh, yeah, yeah right but uh but still that was almost two months ago so it's about time um and i'm excited to cover small world because as i said this is a game that i think we both have a good bit of nostalgia for and it's one that to be honest i have not played in a while so even just getting to talk about it is fun and a cool throwback to um yeah a game that was you know, kind of how we talked about be- betrayal on House of the at House on the Hill a few weeks ago. The kind of um, foundational role that game holds in my game collection, Small World, was right next to it because the same way that Betrayal was my first modern board game, Small World was the second. Yeah. And I would say for probably the better part of a year after that, those were like those two games were my game collection. My mm-hmm. shelf was. You know, those two games tucked into my TV console. That was it, which is nuts to think about now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come come, yeah. A, come a long ways. But uh, I mean, if you have to start with everybody's got to start with a couple and uh, those aren't bad ones to start with. No. So why don't you give us an overview of Small World? Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk through it a little bit. So. Um, you know, this game has been around for a while, uh, came out in 2009 and it was designed by Philippe Kayertz. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, we had a couple artists tag team this Miguel Coimbra and Cyril Dijon. And this is public. The game is published by Days of Wonder. And... You know, it's a fairly light game, uh, two to five players, 40 to 80 minute playtime, and just a shade over two on the complexity scale on BGG, 2.35, and comes in at 339th overall in games and number 300 in strategy and cracks the top 100 for family games. And wow. uh, yeah, and I think a good way to think about this game is, you know, when I was growing up, I really liked playing Risk. And uh, one Christmas, I got a copy of like the the Lord of the Rings Risk. And I think that's one way to think about this game because it's really leans into that fantasy theme. It's area control. But like it kind of jazzes it up in some fun ways that uh, oh, make, definitely. make it a, a little bit a little bit more um, 
compelling than your standard risk game. Um, yeah, this game has a lot of personality. And yeah. it's interesting like that you referred to it as a light game because I remember thinking at the time when I first played this, um, I think probably in 2017 or 2018, mm -hmm. thinking like, wow, this is not like super complicated, but I thought at the time that it was. And I remember like There's, thinking that it would yeah. be difficult to teach other people. Um, and to this day, I know some people who still kind of struggle with grasping certain concepts in this game. Yeah. But the more I think about it, I don't know if it's because they're complicated or if it's just a little bit fiddly. Yeah. Not everything is completely straightforward for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's like the rundown on the basic, uh, uh, basic facts about the game. And then, you know, we've already kind of talked about the area control side of things. The fact that you're basically trying to play as fantasy races and take over the map. Yep. And yeah, there that, really isn't that much more theme to it. It's just like, no, whoever is the most successful over a number of rounds wins. Um, yeah. One other thing that stood out to me that you mentioned is um, that this is a days of wonder publication from uh -huh. the two thousands. And that was kind of the days of wonder decade when they were kind of the big innovative publisher in modern board gaming and they still obviously like they still exist and they still put out new games all the time right. and some of them have been successful more than others but um this was that same er like era when days of wonder also put out ticket to ride in 2004 mm -hmm. um they put out five tribes also in the 2000s i believe and small world and those were kind of yeah um really at the time innovative and and super successful releases and it's interesting that even to this day um those games are still as you just you know shared with the overall ranking that small world has on bgg they still play a huge role in this hobby and obviously ticket to ride is still massive and they're still putting out new ticket to ride content all the time yeah um yeah so shout out to Mid two thousands, days of wonder. Yeah, quite a bit of staying power. Yeah. Um. So I can get into a rules explanation. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. So, why don't you kick it off? Yeah. This it's interesting because this is not a very rules heavy game, mm -hmm. but it can still be a little bit complicated with the strategy of it and how you implement those rules. So basically, Small World is played over a number of rounds. Um, depending on the player count, you know, that slightly affects the number of rounds just so you kind of have a similar play time. Um, but you're looking at, I think it's probably between nine and 12 rounds. So let's say an average of 10 rounds per game. Yeah. Um, and each round you get a turn. Every player will get a turn and you get to decide on your turn what you want to do. So you have two options. The first one is that you keep going with the race you have, and we can get into that after, or you can go into decline, which will then let you select a new race. So basically to backtrack a little bit at the beginning of the game, each player drafts a fantasy race with a power and they kind of mix that mix, mix and match. So every time it'll be different. So one game you have the, you know, flying Amazons and the next game you could have the seafaring Amazons. 
So there's really cool asymmetry there. Yeah. Each race has a power and each power will obviously be another power that adds onto it as well. So every player gets to draft um, which race they want from a market of options. Um, and then you play as that race for as long as you want until you choose to go into decline. So when you first take a race, so obviously in the first turn of the game, the first round, you'll be deploying it for the first time. So you can come in from the edge of the board and kind of go as far as you can with the army you get. So the number of members of your army will be determined by a number printed on the race and power cards combined. So your power gives you five, your race gives you six, you got a total of 11. And you may get, you know, basically every area on the map is a different kind of region. So you have farmlands, mountains, um, forests, you know, that kind of thing, different biomes that you would expect on a map. And each one is on base level worth the same. It's worth a point at the end of each um, of your turns. But depending on the powers you have or the race you have, you could get bonuses for some. So, for example, I believe it's the the halflings, speaking of Middle Earth, um, (laughs) that will give you an extra point for farmland that you control. Right. Um, If you have the seafaring power, you're the only one who can go on to the oceans or the lakes, which gives you claim that territory. Yeah. Claim it, which like, you know, kind of gives you free points until someone else can take it away from you, which is difficult to do without seafaring or, you know, it also is just a good defensive position. So you don't ever get completely wiped out. And the way that it works is you can kind of go on to any spot on the map by using the number of army units it took to take it over plus one. So if a spot is empty, you need to have, you need to put two units on it. So basically it's empty. So it needs at least one piece on it plus one. If someone had one unit on um, an area, it'd take three, that kind of thing. And so you're kind of limited in how far you can go. You you basically rule of thumb is you need two more than the number of opposing pieces. Yeah, and that piece can be kind of finicky to keep track of because it's not the most intuitive thing and something that I definitely did wrong maybe the first time I played this game. And so that led to a lot more conquest than you actually can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're basically strategically deploying your army. And if it is that you're trying to you know, take over an army, for, uh, a spot from somewhere else, same rule applies. And if you lose a spot, you will get back all of your armies minus one. So one of them will go into the trash, back to the supply, and then you'll get the rest back to redeploy to your remaining areas. So you can still remain with that race, but you're weakened, which is part of the incentive for why you would eventually go into decline. And so going into decline is, as one of your turns, you decide, okay, this turn I'm going to decline. So basically you do nothing else that turn, but flip over all of your yeah it's like a rest so you basically just flip over all your existing armies of your active race turn them upside down so it's just distinguished because they're kind of discolored that they're now in decline they remain on the board you're allowed under normal rules to keep one declined race on the board and you will still get um points for area control from them 
you just and they can't will still move give them you, anymore, correct? You can't move them, and like no matter how many you have on a spot, it still only counts as having one. Yeah. Um, so you're not but, getting any bonuses anymore. If you were the halflings, you wouldn't be getting the farmland bonus anymore. Yeah, there are a couple exceptions to that, but that's the general rule. Um, and then on your next beginning of your next turn, the turn after you declined, you're able to then draft a new race and power following the same rules you did at the beginning and deploy it. So now, now one one question this raises is how many races can you have? It's a limit of two, correct? You can't just add a new one every round, say. No, because under normal rules, you can only have one in decline at a time. So if yeah. I, if you went to decline twice, the first one that went to decline would be cleared off unless you have a special ability that makes an exception to that. Right. Which does exist. Um, but it's it would be the exception rather than... Yeah, that. and again, also like for the most part, going into decline is a whole turn. So if you can do nothing else and you only have maybe 10 turns in the whole game, um, you know, that's not the best use of your time. So most of the time you are going into decline once, maybe twice for the entire game. So you're going to have two to three races across the entire game. Yeah. And basically just at the end of each of your turns, you will get points in the form of coins that you get from area control and any unique powers you have. So if I control six territories at the end of my turn, I get six coins. And then if I have an ability that gives me an extra for every forest I control and I have two forests, then I got two more. So I got eight points that turn. Cool. And then you can either save those coins um, as points for the end of the game, or you can spend some of them at the marketplace when you decide to draft a new race because the different available races will have different costs. And yeah. that's it. You just play until the number of rounds ends and then you count up points at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, one thing... Um, well, I don't want to jump into tips for first-time players before you've wrapped up. Was there anything else you wanted to cover I think we should. Just, I think we should just get into the strategy because I think that, as I Could, said up front, I don't think it's very rules-heavy. Well, and scoring wise, it's just it's just it's just points, just points at the end of the game, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, what were you going to say about tips? Well, I guess well, I thought a fun place to start might just be get well. First of all, giving people some context for thinking through which races to pick, like. What are the kinds of trade-offs you're facing? Like you mentioned, sometimes you're going to have fewer troops. Sometimes you're going to have more troops. Are most of the special abilities movement-related? Maybe we can just give a few more examples there. Yeah, there are a couple of big buckets. And for this, I'm really just going to talk about the um, the base game races because I do right. think that the ones that come in the expansions tend to be a bit more... Um, complicated yeah and sometimes a little bit too finicky but Mm. i think in the base game the ones that i can think of off the top of my head the kind of buckets are the ones that will just give you bonus points for controlling certain types of territories yeah so the halflings as we mentioned or stay Um, the wizards in the magic regions right is it the wiz yes um and then there is a category 
that will let you build defensive structures or get additional defense bonuses. So mm-hmm. those are things like um, the, is it the trolls or the ogres? It's one of them that lets you build like a, a troll fort. Yeah. The, the yeah. troll layers, right? Yeah. That will kind of count as an additional defense bonus. Yeah. Um, there are some that break the rule of just, you know, the army you get up front is all you get. So there mm-hmm. are a couple that will let you get additional um members of your army later on as you go depending on how you play it so i'm thinking of the sorcerers and the amazons specifically in that category um there are some that will give you kind of like i guess a discount for lack of a better word on combat so you can like so you're more powerful in combat based on adjacency bonuses so the um what are they the seafarer the sea folk the seafarers the triton the tritons yeah. the tritons yes they give you you know like a plus one combat on coastal territories and then the giants give you the same thing adjacent to on the territories mountains, adjacent right. to mountains yep yeah and then there are a couple that really don't fall into those big categories like the rat men is just a massive army very straight up yeah. um but for the most part that's kind of what you're working with yeah did i miss any no, I mean, I think that covers the the majority of it. The The only one yeah. I was going to mention was the rap men that you mentioned right at the end, where it's like sheer quantity over quality. Yeah, it's funny because like when you look at the um the the info sheet that has all the races on it that explains all their unique powers, it just has the rat men at the end. It says like basically that just just they're massive numbers. That's it. Yeah, because you just got a big old army, and they don't do anything, but you just have so many of them, right? Um, now, yeah. So that co- <clears throat> so that covers the the different like races that you can pick, and gives mm-hmm. folks a sense of like the range of possibilities there. But what about the abilities? Because I mean, as you said, like this is kind of like a Mad Libs situation, yeah, mixed right? And matched. Where you're mixing and abilities, matching every game differently. I don't think the I don't think the abilities fit as neatly into big buckets. There's a little bit more variety, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh huh. Um, and they tend to not be as strong as the race powers themselves. So yeah. they're like they're they're more the add-on bit. Um, but there are there are some that are standout. So as I mentioned, the seafaring is really good. Um, what are some other good ones? Uh, I mean, the bivouacking that allows you to build uh those like circus camps. Yeah, the encampments, right? Yeah, those are pretty the, good. Dra- the dragon master that allows you to um basically like guarantee win in a combat well, with <laughs> like, just with a single well, and just yeah. with a single token too, right? Yeah. Uh, Another one I find kind of interesting, the diplomat one is pretty fun if you use it at the right time. Where is that the one where you pay people off to keep yourself safe? Well, it's the one where you basically pick someone on your turn that you didn't attack that turn and then mm-hmm. they they can't yeah. attack you on until your next turn. Yeah. I also like Berserker, which um kind of gives you additional combat strength, which could be really good with some of those more combat heavy races yeah but yeah but there, there are lots of interesting ones um but it seems there's... like a general rule of thumb 
as you said, a little bit less powered. A lot of them are giving you bonus coins or some kind of combat advantage or defensive advantage in one way or another. Yeah, and I mean, obviously you're at the whims of how they randomly get paired up with the races, but the way I kind of think about it is that more or less when you're choosing a race and you're looking at what power is paired with it, it's going to work in one of two ways. It's either going to have really good synergy with doubling down on that race's pre-existing strength, or it's going to be something that doesn't fit, but if it if it's good, it'll be a good counterbalance that kind of covers your weak spot. If it's bad, then it just doesn't synergize well with you at all. Mm-hmm. And then you just probably don't want to choose that one. And there's no way to know that until you see it and kind of understand how the game works. Yeah, you, you almost have to have several plays under your belt to even predict how these are going to play out. Yeah, because together. like you kind of want to... Like when you've seen how a race works with a really good pairing, then you know what a bad pairing looks like. Yeah. So in terms of tips and strategies, what I have is I kind of want to point out two, well, no, just one um, rule detail that I would advise people to just read carefully that first time you're playing, which is what we already mentioned about exactly how many armies it takes to take over a territory because it is Mm -hmm. a little bit fiddly and you do want to make sure that when you're doing that mental math um, planning your turn that you actually are able to do what you say you're able to do or what you think you're going to be able to do and so you don't make bad decisions or other players call you out that you actually did the math wrong so just pay close attention to that look back at the rule book if you need to you'll be fine yeah um Yeah, and then I guess just the big strategy overall tip that I have is just really it's the timing of knowing when to go into decline. Um, Right. Because going into decline, honestly, too early or in particular too late can be really detrimental and ruin your whole game. Which of those do you think is a more common problem? Like being a little too trigger happy and doing it too early or waiting i think thinking that you can last longer than you can particularly for newer players it's going in too late because Mm -hmm. i think that especially if you're a newer player you may be a little bit too attached to the race that you drafted the beginning and think that that's your character for the whole game when it's not you know and sometimes even for experienced players so i still do this sometimes is um the ambitions that you had in your head when you chose that race about how you thought it was going to play out. Um, maybe, you know, it's turned four out of 10 and it still hasn't played out. And instead of thinking, okay, it's never going to happen. Time to let it go and move on. You still kind of hold out hope that yes. you'll make it work next time. And it, cost yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And, and it really doesn't work because the more you lose those armies, as I mentioned, um, the weaker your decline race is. So ultimately, even when you get those two races on the board, you're still getting less points than you probably would have if, you know, you went to decline, you still had five territories from your previous race. Yeah, because you've already been picked off more. Yeah, but there's no, like, there's no hard and fast rule about exactly when to go into decline. It's not like I would tell everybody, you want to go into decline exactly on turn five out of ten. Because it's always going to depend on what race you have, 
well, um, and, what other and people w- are doing and what's available coming next. If there's something right. that's really good in the marketplace and you're just you're thinking, I could go into decline now or I could hold off one more turn. You know, if it's really good and you're looking at what other people are doing, you may want to go into decline now because you Don't may not have that one more turn because someone else Yeah, someone else will take it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, by the same token, another factor here is when other players are going into decline too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really know about other strategies that I have. What about you? Anything else? Uh, well, not a strategy per se, but just one thing I want to reinforce. I think we've already covered this, but just the idea that, you know, we compared this game to risk just because it's area control with like a whole lot of interchangeable units. But, uh, it's very different from risk and how the combat plays out just because you're not rolling dice and leaving it to chance as you would in a game like risk or access and allies. And so this is kind of like the anti risk in a way. Yeah. There's no probability here. It's just sheer numbers game. Yeah. Which Um, maybe that was obvious already, but just wanted to reinforce it. No, yeah, I think it, it is an important thing to clarify, though, if you're trying to pitch this game to somebody. And obviously, the yeah. first thing that comes to mind is you mention Risk, because that's the go-to area control game that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I doubt that there are many people out there who've played some of the other area control games we've talked about, like Scythe and Blood Rage and Ankh, who have not played or heard of Small Worlds. So you're going to mention Risk first. And people right. tend to have strong feelings about Risk. Usually, especially if they have negative feelings about it, it's for two reasons. It's how long the game takes, and it's the luck-based combat. And so if you want to make them love an area control game and those are their issues, this is perfect because this gets rid of both those things for the most part. Because as we mentioned, there's there's a turn limit. There are a set number of rounds in the game. So it really will, unless you're playing with people who just take too long. Um or have a higher player count, you're really getting a game in in probably 90 minutes to two hours most. Um, and 90 plus percent of the combat is not luck-based at all, which is, yeah, very different than Risk. Yeah. Yeah. Even less luck-based than Scythe and Ankh. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and... One other thing I want to highlight for how the combat is different is one of the strategies you have in both risk and access and allies is you load up all your troops on the front line and then you don't really need depth of defense because people are two, three spaces away from your, you know, back region, so to speak. But you can't really do that in a game like small world where um, incoming new races can basically come in on any edge around the board. Yeah, I got that. Um, Do you want to get into expansions? There are quite a few, (laughs) you know, Um, I, we we certainly can. You'll you'll probably have to take the lead there. I've played mm-hmm. a handful of the expansions, but I think you uh, you're 
expertise on that outweighs mine for sure. Sounds good. So actually, I pulled up the list of expansions. Um, so I will say that I also I have not played them all, but I have a pretty good sense of what they all are. So there are a bunch of so there are different categories of expansions for this. So the f- ones that I will just get out of the way very quickly are the ones that are just additional races and powers. Yeah. So back when this game first came out, they kind of came in these like little packs that would give you, you know, a couple, like th- I think usually it was like three additional races per pack. So there was like one that was the great, the grand dames of small world, which was like three female centric races. Cause there yeah. weren't a ton in the original game. And then there was like, the um what's another one uh a spider's web which kind of came with i don't know sieves that would fit that theme but what they've done more recently is they've kind of gone back and they've repackaged a bunch of those smaller packs into two bigger boxes that are kind of the same size as the original game box but thinner um and they call those the power packs so there's small world power pack one and Power Pack 2. It looks like they mm-hmm. both came out in 2017. Yeah. So, yeah, those are just more sieves. Um, goes without saying what that is. The big... Well, I saved the big ones for last. And then there's some mini expansions that are cool. So, there are things like... There's a six-player map. Um, different map expansions. There's uh, additional like two-player expansion called small world oh boy uh lost tribes crusade which actually came on 2021 and there's small world necromancer island which i actually i have it but i have not played it it was like five dollars so i got it i honestly Um, i honestly sorry to interrupt i just i honestly had no idea they were still making expansions for this as recently as two years ago yeah so well that one it looks like um the description of because i hadn't heard of it so i just opened the link it looks like it is a mini expansion for solo and two-player games where you play against a lost hum- uh, a non-human AI opponent. So I guess this was a mm-hmm. way for them to include a solo version. That's probably why. Because back okay. then, solo play wasn't as much a big deal. Um, okay. So the Necromancer Island is basically like a new semi-co-op mode for the game where one person plays as a Necromancer and everybody else plays normally with the normal races Hmm. um i have it haven't tried it yet would love to and then there are two like bigger expansions um well three i guess so one of them is small world's realms which this one is kind of like a, a major map expansion where instead of playing with the board as the map, as you normally would, there are these like tile puzzle based um, tiles that you flip over and kind of construct into a different map every time. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what you do in a game like Dwellings of Eldervale, but more intricate. It's not just like individual hexes, it's like groups of hexes all together. And they're, um, they're connected in clumps, so you'll have one piece that's like three or four. Is it looks idea? like it's even bigger. Like, yeah, uh, but yeah, okay. maybe like six, but yeah. You get that. Yeah. Um, but the two that I think are more interesting is Small World River World, which this one you play on a different map. It's um like a river map. 
um, and it's kind of pirate themed. There's more water, I would assume, than the others. Well, it it doesn't play the same way. So I actually think that um, you... So it comes with like a bunch of different um, races and special powers that like work best with this specific map, which is why I ultimately mm-hmm. never got it back when I was like really into this game because it doesn't integrate from my understanding very well with okay. the base game. And which is why the one that I got that I actually really like um, is the Small World Sky Islands expansion. Mm-hmm. And what the Sky Islands does is that it introduces a handful of new races and powers. They tend to be pretty cool. Um, as you mentioned earlier, a little bit more complicated than some of the base game ones, though. And it introduces a, an extension to the game board that is, you know, islands in the sky that you get to by going up and down um, either a beanstalk or a stairway to heaven. Yeah, And... It basically is just, um, you know, a little bit more variety in the map and a very minor scoring bonus that you get an additional point on your turn if you control an entire island. So each island is like three or four territories and you have to control the whole thing to get the bonus point. So what I like about it is like... That sounds a a little bit like Risk. Yeah, it it kind of creates like a few choke points on the map that don't otherwise exist with those stairways right. controlling, you know, the way up and the way down. It's kind of like those continental connectors in risk. Yeah. Um, the bonus for controlling the islands isn't as big as continental control and risk, but it kind of forces people to um, be more intentional about like where they're placing themselves on the map. So, you know, yeah. If you're playing a three player game and two people are fighting it out for the islands, then great for you. You have free reign of the mainland down below. So even though you're not getting the island bonus, you maybe can control more territory on the main map. Hmm. Or, you know, when you're choosing where to place your units in a defensive position, maybe if you control one end of the staircase, that's the spot you put it because it's slightly more valuable to hold on to that than just a random spot on the map. So yeah yeah that's why i like it um that makes a lot and I, of sense. I really like uh, most of the races they included as well some of them are a little bit just too much so which sometimes happens with expansions but that's that's fine so to take a step back like because there's a a lot of detail there like yeah. roughly how many expansions are we talking total is this like oh eight? god i so <laughs> it depends because they've kind of repackaged them in some way yeah there's a lot of like and then there are other just mini things that right or like like collector's books yeah um, but you said three upgraded components but you said three main ones i think so but it's also like they're also small world spin-off games so there's small world underground and there's small world well small world of warcraft and those are I'm sensing a um, theme between this and Ticket to Ride in the those are the, those are standalone games in, of games. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like what we talked about when we talked about Everdell Farshore and yeah. Um, I I don't even want to say Expeditions because Expeditions is a completely different game to Scythe. I think the Farshore example is probably the, 
the most accurate one where it's the same game repackaged. Right. Um, it's like Small World Underground, from my understanding, is just it's a completely different game that's basically Small World again, but it's the theme is like it's an underground map, like in a cave. Yeah, you gotta play in the dark. Exactly. Um, and so the races are a little bit more suited to that theme. It's still fantasy, but it's more like dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. And then um, Small World of Warcraft is, again, basically the same game, but it's World of Warcraft theme because I guess they got the IP rights. Hmm. So, okay. yeah. That's why I don't have a hard and fast answer for you because I'm sure that somebody will be able to point out some expansion that I forgot somewhere down the road. But yeah. I would say what I would say is if you're looking for a gameplay expansion, Sky go with Island Sky Island. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you just want, if you don't want to add any complexity to the existing game and you just want more races to choose from, the um, power packs are worth taking a look at. Um, yeah. I don't own any of them. So I guess if you are a stickler, you might want to do power pack one because, you know, people like me would just freak out having power pack two, but not power pack one on my shelf. <laughs> um, but if yeah. you don't care about that kind of thing, I guess you could just look at the list of which one, which races are included and see which one um, you prefer. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's a lot about expansions, but we can. Move yeah. On. I, it's funny. <laughs> I did not realize what, uh, what a can of worms it was when I when I back in the day days up. of wonder. Well, the thing is actually not even back in the day because a lot of these, like, like you Sky said, Islands twenty twenty one. Yeah, River one. World was twenty sixteen. Sky Islands twenty seventeen. It seems like a lot of these, like they went through like a second wave of small world public like publishing in twenty seventeen. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, what do you think is the best thing about Small World? The best thing about Small World, I think the the mixing and matching of races and abilities <laughs> is really fun. And especially in the sense that it's a really uh, easy and quick way to get a lot of replay value without adding a ton of complexity to the teaching of the game. Yeah. But... Um, I guess, so I think that's a really nice feature of it, even if it does have a bit of a drawback in that this game takes probably more, more playthroughs to master and get a sense of like, which ones are good than maybe some other games of a similar complexity with a bit of asymmetry. Yeah. Um, my, the thing that I appreciate most about this game is I think this is like the most user-friendly and welcoming area control game that I can think of. That's actually good. Yeah. Um, because while I would say that I think that games like Scythe and Ankh are better games, um, and more interesting they are more complex. And yeah, they're less, not for everybody. Yeah, and they're less inviting to people. I think that this is a perfect entry game for people who, you know, know risk and have their feelings about it either way and that you could convince them to play this game. 
because the box, like for a game that came out in 2009, we didn't talk about this, but the artwork is actually really nice. The fantasy races are really mm-hmm. fun and have a lot of personality. As we mentioned with the the, the rat men, like the game right. has a sense of humor that's really fun. It Everything's does. very bright, bold colors, easy to understand. The reference sheets are super useful. Um, it's quick to play, you know, within reason. Like it's not, you know, a game of one night werewolf but you know this is a good hour and a half to two hour game which if someone's used to risk that's nothing perfect for like entry level game night and i think that if you have people fall in love with this game um it's then perfect to kind of transition them into eventually trying a game like scythe um or even venturing outside of area control now they see that a board game can be so much more than risk and access and allies yeah well yeah on that note i i do think what i mentioned earlier is a nice feature but i want to amend my favorite thing about this game okay um having thought about it a bit more i think what my actual favorite thing about this game is the fact that you have an area control game that you can finish in a reasonable amount of time that's pretty rare Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only a other one feature. Yeah. So that's why I said, um, you know, the caveat that it doesn't like it's accessible and also good. Cause the only yeah. other like relatively light area control game I can think of that actually takes, I would say probably this about the same amount of time as this, maybe a little bit less is Condottieri. But even that feels very different because the small box game and it's like half area control half card game um so it doesn't give you that same feeling as a traditional yeah it's it's not a dudes on the map kind of area control game which is what this is yeah that makes sense yeah um so worst thing about small world Mm, you know I don't have, I honestly don't have a ton of bad things to say about this game. I think the only, the one thing that comes to mind is, you know, it's not even really a knock on the game because the going into decline and playing as new races is a pretty fun and interesting wrinkle of this game. I just think that between that and how, pronounced the asymmetry is and how it changes every time like if you are introducing this to new players i feel like there's a pretty there can be a a bit of a learning curve and like between this is true of any game of course but like given how given how how medium weighted is i think like people new players might be surprised by how steep the learning curve is just because so much of it is contingent on knowing which race combinations are good and um and also like how they when, interact with the other races on the board yes and when to go into decline so i i i hesitate to even call that a knock on the game but i guess i want to mention it just to say that you know if you do get introduced to this game and you're mm, 
frustrated on the first playthrough or two, um, like stick with it and like, don't, don't let that deter you from playing it a few more times. But yeah, the first playthrough or two might, isn't always the most fun. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I don't really have anything particularly negative to say. The thing that I would point out is what I already said about the kind of strange counterintuitive math of how you take over territory sometimes. Just remember exactly. Yeah, it's exactly like remember exactly how many units you need and keeping that number correct. I suppose, um, but but even it's not, even though it's yeah. weird, it's so much of an improvement over risk that it's acceptable. Yeah, it's just I I just kind of have to like do them. Even now, having played so many times, and maybe I don't know, maybe there's something wrong with me. I still kind of have to count multiple times before I commit to what I'm doing. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and and as for like yeah. the, the pacing with the decline that you mentioned, I actually really like it though because I think that once you know this game. One of the really good things about the like race switching midway through is it kind of creates this interesting bait and switch or narrative switch throughout the game where like yes. the person who's doing really well in the first couple turns isn't necessarily just going to pull ahead and dominate the entire it's, game, well, it's which a happens nice, in Risk. Yeah, it's a nice little catch-up feature there. Yeah, because like sometimes what happens is actually it ends up completely switching because you have a, you become a totally different character midway through and that, that changes the power dynamic completely. And we've talked in the past about like how other games handle this, like, you know, Ankh kind of handles that with the merge as a catch up mechanism, but here it's a way more pronounced literal reshuffling of the board. Well, and by the same token, I mean, you said, someone might start out way ahead and it like keeps them from getting even more ahead. But Mm -hmm. by the same token, if you start off and your first race doesn't go that well, you're not like consigned to like a distant last place. Like in fact, in some cases, like you said, it could put you at an advantage because you're not gonna like try to milk too many turns out of your first race and get a first choice of a good second one. So what I actually really, I mean, this we're supposed to be talking about negatives, but this is something that I really like about this game as well, <laughs> is that it's one of those games, one of the few actually, where it's actually very difficult to know who's going to win. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, usually, you know, you can rule out some people, but there's usually some ambiguity and no one really knows until you count up those points at the end, because right. you'll kind of vaguely remember like, oh, Ryan was doing super well in rounds one through three and was obviously dominating, but now it's round eight and like everyone else just got twice as many points as he did. So how is that going to even out? Right. You know, um, which is, which makes it really fun when you count at the end. Yeah. 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 No, uh, I mean, especially I, when you have like a closer game. Yeah. It's funny too. It's a, I mean, you said like we were talking about a lot of nice features, even at the, negative part and sign of a pretty good game yeah so on that note final score for small world yeah i think final score for me is going to be an eight um it's it's a game i enjoy a lot uh if i'm honest in i'm given a choice of area control i'd probably 
rather play Anker Scythe, but I do recognize like all of the virtues that we've talked about today. The mm-hmm. top two being like pretty easy to teach the mechanics, even if like the race pairing details are a little trickier to master and the fact that you can crank out a game pretty quick. Like this is a solid one and a fun one. Uh, Even if there are crunchier area control games out there, if that's what you're in the mood for. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm also going to give it an eight. Um, There really isn't much to directly criticize about this game. But at the same time, I feel like I don't I don't really want to go above an eight. I thought about 8.5, but eight, right. eight seems right because like it's not a super groundbreaking game. It's pretty straightforward. It plays it kind of safe at the end of the day. Um, but I have a ton of respect for it. It's a nice game to look at. The components are fine. Um, the theme is fun. The gameplay is fun. And yeah, it just, as we talked about, it's it's a very welcoming kind of timeless game that I think can attract a wider net of potential willing participants than some of those other area control games that we've that we've talked about. So yeah, an eight. Yeah. Cool. Any final thoughts about Small World? And Mm. you know what else makes this game kind of inviting to people? What's that? They think about the Disney World ride. No, I I mean, that was the first first association I made with it, too. Yeah, which... I still have to push it out of the back of my mind every time I hear it. Well, the game kind of plays into it because the subtitle subtitle under it says, um, it's a world of slaughter, after all. Yeah, which is nice, nice and tongue in cheek. Nice tongue yeah. in cheek there. Reference. Um, I guess they got away with no copyright infringement, no cease and desist from Disney. But yeah, maybe Disney was just like, you know what? That's pretty good. I'll allow it. Yeah, we'll take it. It's free press at the end of the day. Or maybe we just blew it for Small World, and they're going to get hit with a lawsuit tomorrow. I think Disney would have noticed by now. <laughs> One would hope. <laughs> One would hope. Um. Cool. So that's Small World. We are entering our 40s, and this was a good one to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excited to see uh, what we have cooked up for rounding out the year. But uh, thanks again. We for... have we have plans. We do. Indeed. It's going to be an interesting end of year celebration. So but... thanks again for uh, for joining us and looking forward to uh, ending the year on a strong note.